You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 115. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. I remember speaking with some of my family members and they were like, oh yeah, that's okay. I take all that medicine and more. And I, I was like, no, no, that that will not be my life. I remember just having a very convicting moment of feeling that will not be my life and really determined to make a change. Welcome back, veggie lovers. I hope that you are having a plantastic Sunday. I am so pleased to bring you yet another episode in the pediatric series. Today, it is with James and Dahlia Marin, who are married registered dietitians, plant-based, of course. And this episode is really, really interesting. We're going to talk about some stuff that I've never talked about on the show before, such as environmental nutrition, the exposome exposures that we have to environmental toxins and how that might affect your children and your family. So please stay tuned. But before I tell you more about James and Dahlia, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show, Veggie Doctor Radio, as well as supporting my YouTube channel. If you have not already checked it out, Veggie Doctor TV. So there's Several ways that you can support it, but two ways that I'm asking you to consider today are to join my Patreon, which I just started recently. There's three levels, the $5, $15, and $20. And with the $15 and $20 a month contribution, you're going to get access to exclusive content, monthly Q&As, and fun stuff like that. And then through the end of August, for those that join the $20 level, you are going to get a autographed copy of my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. And I think it's just going to be tons of fun to be able to create special content for you, but also this support and this funding helps make the podcast even better, helps me create even better content, more creative content, and it just gives us more versatility. Also, my podcast editor and right-hand woman, Alejandra, who makes everything beautiful. Just so you guys know, if you follow me on social media and you see all the beautiful images and all of that stuff, it's created by Alejandra because she's really the woman behind all of the beautiful images. I just put all my words on there, but she makes the images pretty. She edits the podcast. She really helps me with design and making everything sound great. I want to support her too, which means that I give her back 
value in the form of money so that I can pay her more. She deserves it. She works super hard. So all of that helps to make the podcast better, helps to create more value for you and for me and for Alejandra, for everybody. So it's a win-win-win. So you can find that in the show notes or you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the Dr. Yami. Another way that you can support the show is by shopping at my affiliate store. That is at dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash shop. So most of the items there, I do have an affiliate relationship with those companies and products. So if you buy it, which is something that you get for yourself and maybe something you're already going to buy anyway, I get a small percentage of that, which helps support the show and the podcast and all the other things I'm doing. However, if right now financially you don't, you know, you're not able to contribute, or if you're just like, you know, I don't want to do that, that's fine. Your prerogative, your business. But you would love some free downloads to support you on your plant based and healthy lifestyle journey. Go to dryami.com forward slash free, F R E E, so that you can check out all the great resources like how to replace meat in your diet, how to replace dairy, eating out a plant-based shopping list, all kinds of goodies, download one, download all if you'd like. So those are the offers that I have for you. I want to give a big thank you to Chris who left a five-star review of my book on amazon.com. It is titled Super Helpful Insights for My Toddler and Myself. Chris says, loved this book, well-researched and still approachable. I felt encouraged to do a little bit at a time to enhance the health of my kids and myself through healthy eating habits and healthy eating. I appreciate Dr. Yami's warm and encouraging writing style, like you are having a visit with her in her clinic. She tells you what the goals are and reassures you that you don't have to do everything perfectly or 100%, but her tips are so helpful for steps you can take to improve. It definitely helps to reduce the stress around mealtimes in our home with two toddlers. I love this approach to food. I am a convert to intuitive eating. I am so excited to recommend this book to my family, friends, and pediatric patients. I already bought a copy for my sister. Thank you for this book, Dr. Yami. And thank you, Chris, for that amazing review. I appreciate you so much. And I'm so glad that it's helped bring joy into your life and reduce stress. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about your own or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a healthcare professional. All right, let me tell you about James and Dahlia. What a delightful couple. They are so smart. They are so passionate have a beautiful family, and they're part of something really amazing that is happening in California. So James Marin is a registered dietitian and environmental nutritionist who specializes in using whole plant foods as a form of medical nutrition therapy. He has used his knowledge of food and the environment to help hundreds of patients of all ages prevent and reverse diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and a variety of gastrointestinal issues. His approach takes into account family, stress, nutrition habits, environment, and work life to come up with a tailored approach for each of his patients. 
Dahlia Marin is a certified registered dietitian nutritionist. She uses her own health story and clinical experience in medical nutrition therapy, working with clients of a multitude of ages, backgrounds, and health conditions to get to the root of what ails them, helping them find optimal health and well-being. She specializes in gut health and microbiome optimization for adults and children. Dahlia is passionate about helping patients and clients use whole plant foods as medicine and work with their care team to identify the root cause of their gut issues to resolve issues once and for all. She has personally used food as medicine on a whole food plant-based diet for over eight years to overcome prediabetes, PCOS, GI issues, hyperlipidemia, obesity, and uncontrolled Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and have a healthy plant-based pregnancy. Dahlia combines her academic background in evidence-based data, training, and functional nutrition and real-world experience to help patients and clients heal with each meal. Uh, James and Dahlia are so amazing. I loved hearing about their plant-based journey and also how they met. So romantic to have a plant-based initiated relationship. So cool. But we also get really into the environment and what we can do to decrease our exposures. We touch on supplements and what they wish more parents knew. I know you're going to love this episode. I hope that you're really enjoying the pediatric series so far. Please send me your feedback. Let me know what you think. You can email me at yami at dryami.com. Give me your feedback so that next year we can continue to have this every August. It's my birthday month. We can have a pediatric series. So again, veggie lovers, thank you so much for listening and let us proceed to this delightful interview with James and Dahlia Marin. Dahlia and James, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So, so exciting to have this extended format because we did something similar on Instagram live, but mm-hmm. now we have time to relax and really get into the nitty gritty of the question. But Love before it. I start asking you some more specific questions about nutrition, I'd love to know about each of your journeys into plant-based nutrition. Cause we actually didn't get into that on IG live. So tell me how did each of you discover plant-based nutrition and how has it guided your careers? I love it. Love that question. And so uh, personally with my story, I always tell people I was my very own patient and I was kind of my own health story was what brought me into being a plant-based practitioner, adopting a plant-based diet for myself, as well as implementing it for my family. And so growing up, I was a first generation American. My parents immigrated here from Egypt and I was a latchkey kid growing up. So I would come home from school and eat a whole box of cereal and watch TV all afternoon. Um, (laughs) And, you know, as a, a young adolescent, a teenager, I went to the doctor. I was having just some issues with my ear. So I went to see an ENT and he quickly pointed out I had a large goiter on my thyroid. So my thyroid was enlarged. He referred me to an endocrinologist and I was 17 years old at the time. Simultaneously in one day, I, upon having my lab work done, was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, an autoimmune thyroid condition, polycystic ovarian syndrome, prediabetes, hyperlipidemia, so I had high cholesterol, and I was obese. 
And um, the doctor was wonderful. I was so, so grateful that he was that investigative and was able to really lay it out clearly for me because up until that point, I was just told, you're lazy, you need to lose weight, you know, you need to change your habits. And it didn't click for me. I just thought, no, I'm young, you know, I'll deal with that later. There was no real motivation that I had. And so that was a wake up call. I was provided three prescriptions and was told, all right, we'll see you back in three months. I went home. I was a great patient. I took my medication for the first month or so. And I somehow felt worse. I didn't start off feeling great with all those diagnoses that I was given, but I somehow felt worse. And I thought there has to be a better way. For myself personally, I just started researching more about nutrition. Um, I had just started my undergrad at that time. And so I was a psychology major and just changing my own habits and lifestyle. A couple of years into college, people were asking me more questions about my own health. And I started looking at more and more nutrition, more so than psychology. And I realized that I think is my calling. So I took a nutrition class and it just became evident. And then from there, I became a dietetics major, transferred schools on my first day of school. I had this quirky guy in three of my classes. Um, and so that's when I met James and we really made that transition together over the years. She summarizes that so well. <laughs> and like at the end of the story. And then I met this quirky guy. <laughs> and then James came in and here. we became plant-based together through so all of our research. I'll, I'll but, finish that. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, no, I just I was, was curious about, so you you felt worse after you took uh, the medications, but did you just keep taking them or what did you do at that point? Did you question any of it? I, I had questions. I spoke with my provider and I let him know I'm feeling worse. You know, I'm starting now to have all these, um, I was starting to get UTIs more frequently taking this medication. I was starting to feel even more lethargic and you know, he was telling me, oh yeah, those can be normal side effects, but you know, you'll have to take all this. And then if you ever want to get pregnant because you have PCOS, you'll probably need more medication. And I was like, "Uh Oh, I don't want that. So then, you know, I, I told him I want to start changing my lifestyle. And we were in agreement with that. And he said, well, you know, if the numbers on your labs and your symptoms improve, then we can talk about getting you off of that. So I did my work. I showed him and got off of the medication. Did, yeah. was the doctor able to direct you at all or is he kind of like oh like you're on your own figure out what you need to do with your lifestyle and I'm fine with you doing it or was he like okay this is how you can do it he said he said do the carnivore diet no, no I'm just kidding <laughs> I remember he did tell me no he did have I think a dietitian in his office at that time I never ended up meeting with her but he did suggest it he said I have a dietitian if you want her guidance and I said well I think I'm going to have a go at it and kind of see what headway I can make. But he personally wasn't really able to guide me and direct me. But he said, you definitely need to make some changes. And I remember I was devastated. I don't come from a family of those who are extremely healthy. And so I remember speaking with some of my family members and they were like, oh, yeah, that's OK. I take all that medicine and more. And I, I was like, no, no. That, that will not be my life. I remember just having a very convicting moment of feeling that will not be my life and yeah really they're determined like, to make a change yeah they're like welcome to the family we all have this right we'll share and that's meds. probably what they believed yeah like we all this is just part of our genes girl this you know normal. i just got to deal with it and i and so then that. how long was it after your diagnosis your metabolism was in trouble it was oh. a lot of stuff mm -hmm. so many things at stuff. once mm -hmm. and so then how long after that initial diagnosis 
did you meet James? And then you guys started going down the path. Yeah. So it was about three years after that, that I met James, uh, two and a half years or so. And then in that time, I just started cleaning up what I was doing. And then we had yeah. both kind of questions at the same time about what we were learning in school at, mm-hmm. as an undergrad of t- getting a degree in dietetics and just kind of had more questions. And I think what started it, I took a food ethics class and we were asked to choose a novel to read. And that was our uh, project for the entire quarter. And I read Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. And it posed some very interesting questions. And I recall I had already watched Food Inc. and just was also kind of that I remember feeling something when I watched that documentary, but reading The Omnivore's Dilemma provided more questions for me. And then I think I wanted to go back and watch Food Inc. on Netflix. And then it suggested, I think, another documentary or somehow we came upon the China study. Somehow you ended up ordering that book. Yeah, it's interesting because when we met, we were both on like a health journey Mm -hmm. individually and we met and it grew stronger and it was like, oh, wow. And then we're in the same major and we're taking all the same classes and well, you have this health story. Oh, I have this health story. And oh, yeah, I'm exercising and clean up my diet. Oh, so am I. And and yeah, I had learned some, I read my first like official health and nutrition book. I remember like my junior year of high school because I was trying to do more bodybuilding and get healthy and I was reading these health books. And of course they weren't that great, but they were stimulating my mind to be to think of like, wow, there's more than what we're being told. There's power in food. There's power in the chemicals you put in and on your body. And so yeah, when I went to Delhi, I was just strengthened and it's it's fuzzy on like how we actually got into plant-based, but I remember us going You read the China study. That was the yeah, I read I read the China study and I was like, oh wow, the China study is amazing. And then it was funny because like Michael Pollan at the time was really on that wavelength as well, and just kind of saying, look at what's really going on with your food. Look at the industrial food system and how crazy it is. And it's like, whoa, and it makes sense. And something we say now is, without a healthy environment, you can't have a healthy body. And if you're eating these sick and abused and tortured animals, and you're putting that energy and whether it's caloric energy and, or yeah, whatever mental and emotional energy into your body, are you going to be healthy if you're eating that diseased animal? So, so it was interesting yeah. learning that yeah. and then feeling that at the same time. Right. And that was yeah. along my journey where I was ridding of medication and reducing my thyroid medication dosage. And so everything kind of just and, happened. And we were totally the oddballs in school from then on. Like we, we were going vegetarian, then we went vegan and we were like the vegans in the, in our apartment. We were you know? <laughs> so it was funny. It was interesting. Yeah. The yeah. vegans, right? Cause there was the just vegans. two. <laughs> there was two. Well, oddly there was two of the students and then one of the professors was a vegan as well. So yeah. it was like us three in the whole oh, that's department. That's so cute. Yeah. So James, then catch us up. What happened to you before you met Dahlia? You said that you were also on a health journey. So what experiences did you have? I I think I was more of, luckily I didn't have all the diagnoses, right? Like I I was probably on my way there. Maybe it would have taken me another decade or two, but I was definitely on my way there. But I was more of the emotional eating, hedonic eating, morbidly obese child. And um and I realize now, you know, traumas I experienced in my childhood and things like that, you know, I would use food as like a comfort. I was use food when I'm sad, use food when I'm happy. And in third grade, I was like 120 pounds in like third grade. I, I remember looking, I remember feeling and just even when I look back at pictures, it's like, wow, how, 
how does a child get that big? You know, it's, it's crazy. But I was, yeah, totally eating whole boxes of cereal and chocolate milk and ice cream and, you know, whatever I could eat. And, um, and growing up in a Hispanic household, I, I, I even questioned my parents, like, how did you let this happen? But it's the, oh, you know, it's good to eat. Like eat, eating more and being is bigger <laughs> is good. And yeah, food mm-hmm. is love. So um, we're just going to give you tons of love, mijo, and eat, 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 eat. And so um, I started getting, I started getting little things, asthma and joint pain, again, morbidly obese. And there was a time where I was just like, no, like I got to exercise. And I started exercising and then I started losing weight. And I think at the time I grew, you know, go through puberty and you grow and it's like, okay, I lost weight. It feels good to exercise. I'm going to keep doing that. And it wasn't until towards the end of high school and going out of high school, I started really eating healthier. I would still eat fast food and, and junk and protein, protein, protein was that kind of guy mentality. Um, but I was still getting sick a lot. I would get every cold, every flu, every whatever, allergy, allergy, really, really bad. It wasn't until I really went vegan that I was like, wow, my allergies aren't there as much and I don't get sick as often and I feel a lot better and I'm still able to build muscle and it felt amazing. And that's when, yeah, that's where kind of Dolly and I connected and we continued to build on that. Now I never have allergies or like very very little rarely get sick it feels really really good yeah wow and then dahlia are you still taking any medications or were you able to get off your meds and how's your health doing so i do i still do take a very low dose of thyroid medication because i have an autoimmune condition when i was first diagnosed my antibodies were so high they were off the charts and so it was not even measurable and that is and anti, as you know, is basically your own immune system attacking a specific part of your body. And so I went through very much a, um, an internal struggle with taking my thyroid medication. And this was maybe five or six years ago, even as a, an educated RD, I really was feeling I'm healthy. I should be able to get off of this medication. And with my provider's blessing, we tried to get me off of it. And I was taking, you know, all the right thyroid supplements and I felt awful. And I had a come to Jesus moment one day and I just realized, you know, it's an autoimmune condition. A type one diabetic wouldn't try to get themselves off of insulin. Once that damage is done, it's done. And so I've made my peace. I take a much, much, much lower dose. I take about 10% of the amount that I prior that I took previously when I was first diagnosed, but I will likely necessitate thyroid medication for the rest of my life just because my thyroid was destroyed by my antibodies, but all the other medications I'm off of. No longer take anything for my blood sugar nor did I during my pregnancy. I did not have gestational diabetes, which they were very concerned with since I had previously been pre-diabetic. I no longer necessitate any other medications to regulate hormones or anything else. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And no, I mean, I I definitely want to point out for the listeners, whenever I would say the majority of people that develop hypothyroidism will likely have to be on thyroid replacement the rest of their Mm -hmm. lives. But, you know, there are, there are some cases you hear about here and there people that are able to get out get off of them but it's you know it's not a shameful thing if you have to take it and I I think Mm -hmm. that in the plant-based community too we should be more open and normalize the fact that yes some of us still have to take meds and it's okay to take supplements for things that we don't want to get deficient on it doesn't mean that we're weak 
or that there's something wrong with us, you know? So no, I was just curious. But one thing I'm curious about, because both of you guys stated that as children, you were larger bodied. And I, I was raising my hand when Dahlia was talking about being a latchkey kid because I was a latchkey kid. I'd go home, I'd do my homework right away. And then I had the whole afternoon, like bored, MTV. It was like yes. cereal. Like cereal was like the number one, right? It was so good. And cinnamon toast crunch with whole milk um, oh, yeah. or frozen burritos. We're all like reminiscing here. <laughs> Childhood <laughs> food. But, you know, it yeah. was just like, that was like the time, you know? It's like, that was what we would do. But did you guys suffer from body image, any body image issues? And if so, do you have any lingering trauma from that? Yeah, I, I definitely did. So um, I do have two siblings. They're five and 10 years older than me. So we were basically living different lives <laughs> in the same time because they were so much older than I was. So I just remember I was maybe eight and my sister was 18. I could wear her clothing. And I thought it was cool until one day someone, a family member pointed out, like, you're not really supposed to be at the body size as someone who's much more developed and grown than you are. And just remember having things pointed out either by classmates who kind of taunted me for my weight or family members, you know, I'm Middle Eastern and in the Middle Eastern culture, weight is everything. Oh, mm -hmm. you're too skinny. You need to eat more. Oh, you're getting too need to lose weight. You need to go on a diet, this and that. So it was constant things that I was hearing from my family members, my extended family members, definitely. And I did, I carried around a shame about it and remember not even happily eating those whole boxes of cereal. It was a very almost depressing um, kind of self-loathing type of just like James was saying for comfort and really having food be my companion. So it was something I was very aware of and cognizant of, but developmentally, I didn't have the maturity to understand how to go about making changes, or I didn't have necessarily that guidance at that time in order to implement changes. Wow, very interesting. How about you, James? Yeah, definitely uh, emotional eater, like, like I mentioned, and that, yeah, that, definitely that trauma, um, body image trauma, whether it was from friends. I mean, I always had friends, but I was always like the bigger kid, you know, and, and there was always that joke or my older brother. So I have an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother taunted me throughout our whole childhood. And, and it would be me name calling him, him name calling me in front of family or in front of my friends and just, yeah, all that embarrassment, all that trauma. And I think, and food was that comfort, oddly enough, it was this vicious cycle when there was a trauma, whether it was for my, the way I looked or something else going on, it was go, go to food. And then you overeat the food and then it just keeps repeating itself, yeah. you know? So there's definitely that, that vicious cycle. And even it was recently where I, I just, I mean, and fairly recently, like in the last five years, I was like, I'm okay with my body. You know, like I, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with my body. I run without my shirt on and I, I go swimming anytime I want without my shirt on there was a time when I was younger I was like I didn't want to take off my shirt and I'm so embarrassed and all that and you know you just got to love yourself you have to realize everyone's body shape is different we're all different we've all gone through different things and we're, we're all very much we should all have that confidence of like you know I'm different and that's okay mm -hmm. um yeah. And, and feeling strong in your body and understanding, yeah, your different body shape, but being proud yeah. that you're strong because you move your body and that's great for you mentally, emotionally, physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting because both of you guys brought up like the cultural backgrounds and as a 
personally, because I'm Panamanian, so Latin American mm-hmm. culture, but also in my practice, I see that come out where there might be direct criticisms of like, you're too thin, you're too large, you need to change. But yet the knowledge about habits that actually support well-being and longevity aren't there. So mm-hmm. it's just like being told what to do, but not given any instructions on how to actually live a long, healthy life. It's more like you just need to change how you look can be super traumatizing and confusing to kids, you know? So thank you for going back in time with me and reflecting on those experiences (laughs) because I do want other people to hear about that. All right, well, time to shift gears. I want to talk about something that we started the conversation on when we had our IG Live with James, Uh and that's environmental nutrition and the exposome, which I think is just a fascinating um, concept. So can you tell us more about what that is and how you integrate that into your practice? Yeah. So, you know, we break this down into three layers. We, we have the inner, which is what you're putting into your body. We have the direct outer, which is what you'll put on your skin, if you can imagine. And then the outer environment at large. So those are the three layers. Of course, it's great to start the epicenter. We're going to start on what we're putting in the body, but, and then you work your way out, right? So so definitely when, it, when we start with what we're putting in, we look at food. And so we're thinking of environmental toxins in our food and in our drink and what we're putting in the body. So it's great, you know, to educate on macros and fiber and, you know, micronutrients like vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients. But it's also important to think of, wow, there's environmental toxins that can live in my food and then go into me. So we bring that awareness to our patients. We, we educate on then the gut microbiome, which the term for these toxins or toxins going into your body and affecting us is the exposome. So there is this buffer system that our body has created to basically help us buffer those reactions to these toxins and toxicants. And that's with our gut microbiome. Our microbes are hard at work to create this this kind of force field and protect us and and degrade these chemicals and try and get them out and bind them to fiber and get them out so we can poo them out and we don't have to deal with them. But you know, with with all that we're exposed to, and I would say even females and specifically female children are at the highest risk because of, you know, and this goes back to society and the pressures we put on kids and females in general, where your chapstick and your lipstick and the you know, the bubble gum, whatever spray or the conditioner and the shampoo and the hair straightener. And, the, you know, my gosh, there's so many products geared toward women. And it's like, what are in these products? What are, what are all these artificial colors going to do? What are all these, you know, solvents? And, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different chemicals. So, yeah, that, you know, we like to educate on that. Like we like to bring awareness on that and then bring it back to the gut microbiome because it's the gut microbiome that's going to help protect you. So that's what that is in a, in a nutshell. Um, and it's really interesting because we're just seeing more and more chemical exposure and it, it creates such a monkey wrench in the system of like, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? And Even in those who come to us saying, I don't understand why I'm not feeling well, I eat healthy. And right. maybe they are, they're eating whole foods. However, sometimes once we dive deep, that additional layer of environmental nutrition and those environmental toxicants, we sometimes unearth the fact that, okay, maybe you're reacting to some of the herbicides and pesticides and other 
additional things that can be on in around your food as well. So sometimes just jumping in a little bit deeper and diving in a little bit deeper can help transform someone's health and bring it a little bit further. And just, and just right on the, I guess, straight off the bat, even more plant-based diet where 95% of dioxin exposure is coming from animal products. So UC Davis did a great study on milk and there's going to be more studies done on dairy where they're seeing PCBs in milk, right? And so when you think of just in and of itself, it's breast milk from another mammal. Breast milk is a medium to transfer. And, and yes, you know, our mom transfers you know, through her breast milk, all these wonderful things. But if a cow, which, which is her mom, and who knows what that cow's eating, where that cow is drinking, what that cow is exposed to, these chemicals, a lot of them love fat. And, and the cow milk is very fatty. And it's going to live in that fat. It's going to get transferred through that milk to us. We drink it. It goes into our body. So there, there's so much to think about here. And so that if we can decrease those animal products, we're decreasing our exposure. We're decreasing our risk, you know, to these chemicals, which is huge. Yeah. yeah. And whenever we think about children specifically, mm-hmm. can you tell us just like maybe a few things to think about whenever they're having these environmental exposures, what could potentially happen? What are the things that we're trying to prevent here by lowering our exposures? Yeah, so I mean, it can go back to when you're when you're even thinking of conceiving, right? Or, or you know, so for males, you know, your sperm count it goes to fertility. It goes to many of these chemicals, atrazine and glyphosate, and a lot of these herbicides and pesticides. I've been showing any animal studies across the board, and you're talking all different kinds of anim- animals, from amphibians to mammals, that it's it basically destroys their fertility, and so we're seeing. I, I think. Some of the latest statistics was one out of every eight married couples are experiencing fertility problems. Mm. And so it's hard. It, it is a needle in the haystack. There's so many different of these chemical exposures. It's hard to pinpoint this one chemical exposed over this many times will do this. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so hard. And we were just talking about this with one of our colleagues. It was like, how much money would a study take to look at all the chemical exposures over the course of someone's life, like who would design and pay for that $100 million study? Like it's, it's very hard to do that. And what's kind of sinister is these chemical companies, they, they use a vacuum, they pinpoint one chemical, they set the parameters and go, you know what, it's safe in this unrealistic, never gonna happen scenario. And then we release that chemical into the real world, it gets mingled with all the other synthetic chemicals and who know what exposures over what time frame, and we have no clue, right? So it's really interesting. But but going back to that fertility, you know, the, the teratogenic effects, which are basically mutations that can happen to the fetus even before we're even birthed into this world. There's also been studies on 240 plus synthetic chemicals in umbilical cord blood of the of the mother and the amniotic fluid of the mother mother and the breast milk of the mother and we don't really know what these chemicals are doing so mm-hmm. or their long-term effects or long-term because they're relatively new or a lot of them to our food system and to our environment as a whole so you know we're not even sure long term of the effects that it could have on growth it can cause growth stunting or 
you know, um, even on weight, what we know, like James was saying, a lot of these chemicals love fat, they're lipophilic. And so when that's the case, it can also just the signals that your fat sends to your brain and that also affect your endocrine system. So it can dysregulate the ghrelin and the leptin that a child is producing. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone, leptin is your satiety hormone. So what we've seen is sometimes with increased amounts of body fat, you might be overproducing a little bit of um, that leptin or you also, it can disrupt that balance between your leptin and your ghrelin. You might overproduce ghrelin sometimes when you have increased body fat. So we're starting to see that right all of these avenues can be yeah and that goes back to where a large a large number of these chemicals are classified as edcs right endocrine disrupting chemicals Mm -hmm. and endocrine are is this i mean this beautiful communication network right your endocrine system is your hormone communication network and what happens when we're mimicking these hormones like bpa does and there's many different forms of BPA that we're not aware of. It's like, yay, we banned BPA and oh, BPA-free everything. Oh, did you know that there's like 10 (laughs) to to 50 different other bisphenol chemicals that they can now use? And it's like, oh, wow, we just haven't studied what heck those do either. So it's so crazy. It can, and not to be a, a total downer here, it goes back to, you have the power. You can, it goes back to minimizing risk, you know? We, we, we were made fun of a lot early on, of like, oh, we're not doing plastic anymore. We're going more plant-based. And like, you guys are hippies. You guys are crazy. Are. <laughs> yeah, we still, we still hear this time from family. But, you know, we're just us in our mind. It's like, let's just minimize risk. Like, I want to be healthy. I want our, we want our daughter to be healthy. And if we can minimize this risk, you know, even if it's little by little, it's totally worth it. And I love that analogy. James is the king of analogies. If anyone knows James, he loves giving his analogies. And, you know, he always, once he's talking to patients or talking to anyone about this, he says, learning this information is like eating food. You know, you need it. But if you intake too much at once, you're going to feel sick and overwhelmed. And so little by little, I always tell my patients, do what you can start in one little area, you know, whether that's okay, let's replace our water bottles with stainless steel or glass water bottles work there. Once you've gotten that down and you feel confident in that, then seek to move on to the next. If you try to go to the buffet and eat the whole entire table, you're going to feel sick, right? So if you're trying to overhaul your whole house and everything your kids are doing, it's overwhelming, but little by little start assessing which areas in your lives are most impactful and where you can start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was my next question is where should people start? And I'm imagining, cause we've already brought this up is first to try to reduce the animal products because that's something that you're directly ingesting and putting mm-hmm. into that inner layer. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about that. If there was an order of priority for you mm-hmm. of what they would remove first, if someone's listening and they're more on the omnivorous side, how mm-hmm. should they approach that? Yeah, so it's, it starts with animal, especially fattier animal products. So, you know, uh, before and even myself, I'd go, ooh, a nice marbled cut steak, right? You want that marbling, which is that fat, right? Which is the lard. And so you're thinking, ooh, and then you add some butter to that. It, it, it's so crazy. You cook steak, lardy steak in butter, and that that's like fine dining, right? So it's kind of doing away with that. It's flipping that on its head and going, wow, the more animal fat you're intaking, more risk you are, right? You're, you're more exposed to dioxins, you're more exposed to PCBs, you're more exposed to these uh, lipophilic chemicals. 
And so that's where you start, the, those fatty cuts of, of animal product. Not to mention, you know, there's, there's little things the industry doesn't tell you. You know, when, when they're um, defeathering that chicken, they dip it in ammonia, right? When they're, when they're cutting open that beef, they dip it in ammonia. And you're being exposed to these chemicals that then latch on to these animal fats in the process of getting it prepared to throw it on your plate, right? So, and so much. Yeah. What I like to often start with my families is take a step back, assess what you're currently eating, and the percentage of that that's whole unprocessed or minimally processed food. If a majority of your diet is coming from highly processed foods, not only are you likely compounding those effects of these environmental toxicants, your body is not really going to be able to efficiently function when you're not giving it a healthy input. So step back. If you know 95% of what you're eating is processed food, then try to incorporate a higher amount of minimally processed foods, things that are you know closer to the earth, less processed. Something I always tell my families, if it melts in your mouth, probably not minimally <laughs> processed, you know, goldfish melt in your mouth or chips melt in your mouth, cereal. If you suck on it long enough, it's just going to melt in your mouth. I always tell my families, if an apple, you try to suck on that, you're going to walk around all day long with an apple slice in your mouth. That's less processed. You know, you're introducing more fiber and phytochemicals and nutrients. So that's kind of a, a good sniff test or a good way to kind of feel the yeah. food out. Is it going to melt in your mouth? Is it highly processed? I love that too, because it's so true that these foods that are more processed, not only can they have the toxins concentrated in them because they're processed and because they have things removed and things added, but because they're broken down into more tiny molecules, we absorb them so much more efficiently, which has a lot of other detriments for people that have certain goals. But yeah, I mean, you, you really do. You absorb that very, very fast as opposed to something else that's going to, your body has to work harder to break that down and to get out the individual components. And it's so easy to overeat that processed food. Well, so and, much easier. And going back to the environmental side, there's industry secrets that you don't, you don't think, you know, you think, yeah, the Keebler elves are making it or the whatever, the Chester cheetah making all the cheetah. It's like, no, a lot of these ingredients are cooked in plastic bags. And then they're cooked at high temperatures in plastic bags and it gets poured into this vat. And we don't know how clean that vat is. Yeah, maybe they inspect it every so often, but who knows what's really going. So there's all these inputs of plastic, of other, you know, pest exposures, of all these little things you're being exposed to that just add up. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. So, Okay, so (laughs) get more whole, less processed food. Uh, Right. Get away from especially the fattier animal products. Right. And then say somebody's transition and they're like, okay, I'm whole food plant-based. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. What do you feel would be like the next step to take after that? Then look at your water source. Where's your water coming from? So there's there's quite the slew of chemicals in your water. If you're doing tap water and look, staying hydrated is great. You want to stay hydrated, but Again, this is where you're building up the ladder. You're, you're really focused on your diet, what you're eating, you know, uh, and that's great. Next is what you're drinking. So, you know, your water is huge. We like a reverse osmosis water filter. For the most part, I would say almost anyone can get a really decent, uh, you know, under the sink reverse osmosis water system or on the counter countertop reverse osmosis water system. And if you're buying bottled water of any kind, whether it's the machine or you're buying the packs, 
this system, it'll it'll pay for itself in like two years of use. So I mean, or less, depending how much bottled water you're buying. So, you know, it, it's an amazing investment that will pay for itself in like two years or less. So and that, that's how is, no brainer. How is the reverse osmosis different than just like a really good carbon filter? Yeah, I mean, great question. So um, that would be a great example between like the Berkey and then these reverse osmosis systems. So the carbon filter, so Berkey uses like a compressed multi-layered carbon filter, and then you can add on a fluoride filter to it. And so this is using gravity. It's just, it really is just pushing through. It's using gravity to push through the carbon, whereas reverse osmosis is a membrane. It uses electricity and it's forcing. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in this case, the Berkey, the carbon is the membrane and it's using gravity and that's why the Berkey fills up slower. Whereas reverse osmosis is using a semi-permeable membrane and it's forcing a heavy stream of water through that membrane. And so, I, I yeah. I tell someone if they don't have a, quite a varied diet and quite a variety in their diet, with right. reverse osmosis, because it's so efficient in filtering, you wanna possibly add back in some trace minerals maybe by utilizing a trace mineral drop or, you know, adding in some um, Himalayan salt or, you know, getting back in some of those trace minerals because it's just so, mm -hmm. so good at filtering. Unless you have a really great, robust variety in your diet and you're confident that you're getting it there. So yeah, right. it just takes everything out. Well, I have, I'm a Berkey lover. That's why I'm asking. Mm, and yeah. I, I, I love it. But yeah, I feel like I'm a water snob now, though, because it I cannot drink water any other place. It just <laughs> does not taste right to me, especially, you know, like how some water is so chlorinated that oh. you bring it to your face and you're like, it smells like you're about to go into a pool. Yes. You know, it's just like totally. crazy. But but it sounds what you're saying is they work differently. And maybe the reverse osmosis pretty much takes almost everything out. But mm -hmm. if you have the budget for a good carbon filter then that's a good step yeah. is what totally. I Totally. Yeah, and the, the Berkey is totally up there. Like, uh, yeah, Berkey is one we recommend, especially for like campers or people that are yeah. on the go a lot. And they just or if you're take renting and you don't want to install something. We have an Aqua yeah. True, which we really like. And that's been yeah. one that we enjoy. I personally, I'm really sensitive to the taste of water. And I that really minerally taste, I'm not the biggest fan of. We got a Berkey and then I was like, hmm. I want it to taste. She liked the Akatru better than the yeah. Berkey, but both were good. Both I would drink great. water from both yeah. for sure. That's funny. I didn't think I could meet a water snob that's more snobby than me, but now, <laughs> yeah. now I've met there one. You <laughs> You're like, I don't even like Berkey like, water. <laughs> and you know, I, we got the big one. I like set it up, all the water. I did all. The, I added all the filters. She's like, oh, I don't really like it. I'm like, <laughs> and now just our drink the water. The same. We go to sometimes at restaurants or you know oh that's so funny like, this water doesn't taste like home yeah. you know, like, oh my gosh <laughs> that's so funny Monster. or when we travel we get home she's like oh, i'm so glad to be home our, and drinking our water it's so good i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> tastes like home yeah okay so then the water and then after that would it be trying to get rid of plastics what would be the next step after looking at your water Right. And then, and then that, yeah, kind of water and food are kind of entangled in the plastics. Mm -hmm. Like we, we would then tell our patients, you know, what is your Tupperware? Are you microwaving your plastic? Mm -hmm. Don't do that. You're leaving your water bottle in the car and it's going to all heat it up and it's plastic. Don't do that. But yeah, let's, um, try to swap it out. let's try to swap it out. And then, you know, if it's a female patient, I'm, I'm going, what are you putting on every single day? And it's usually makeup Thank you. and deodorants. So those are the big 
the big two sections next, right? So the, the makeup and deodorant, what type of deodorant are you using? What type of makeup are you using? You know what's in it? And typically most deodorants and makeups will contain heavy metals. And so it's that tiny trace amounts, don't get me wrong, it's not like huge amounts, but when you're putting it on every day, chances are you're also eating it. Think of when you kiss your mom or your grandmother or you kiss your kids and you have lipstick on or they kiss you in the cheek and then they eat something and you know, you're even eating this stuff on a, on a daily or weekly basis multiplied by years and years and years. It really adds up. So um, we've had patients who some of their some of their like EOE or some of their other issues going on. Just eosinophilic stuff, yeah, yeah, autoimmune condition. Right, they go, wow, it's it's gotten better over working with you guys over these last months, and that's just from these tiny changes that add mm -hmm. up. Another analogy I like to give is, you know, your your GI system. So from your mouth to your anus is this beautiful river. And many of our rivers are being polluted, right? You're seeing tires and you're seeing all this, just as garbage in the river. It's one thing to clean up that river, but we also have to walk up the river and make sure we tell the people who are throwing those things in the river to stop, right? So it's great to clean the river, but we also have to stop the inputs to that yes. river. being That upstream, the upstream effect. We got to think upstream and stop what we're doing. And then, exactly. you know, just bringing it back to kids too, is that kids are smaller. They, you know, yes. so things in them are going to impact them even more than larger adults that have a bigger body surface area and all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to think of. I'm just yeah. feeling a little sad though, because I love my glitter gloss. I haven't <laughs> actually looked. I just haven't looked. Did at you say the G word? I'm really, really sad because I really love glitter gloss. I'm sorry. We don't say the G word in our house. <laughs> oh, my God. Our daughter told her art teacher a few yeah. months ago, oh, my dad doesn't let me do, or we don't do glitter because it hurts the fish and it's not good for our bodies. And, but there oh, are no. some amazing companies now out there like Naked yeah. Poppy. There's Mineral Fusion. There are so many more conscious companies who are making biodegradable glitter, you know, makeup or very high quality or better quality for you makeup. So they're understanding that now there's a demand. We want natural nail polish. We want natural hair dye. And, you know, there are companies who are innovative out there who are really doing that for us. So that way we can still, you know, I still, I always say I'm like a fancy hippie. I want to still look nice, smell nice, feel nice, but you know, I don't want to put those things in and on my body at the same time. So I'm going to seek out those alternative methods where I can still look the way I want to look, feel the way I want to feel. And then at the end of the day, still feel and healthy and yeah. achieve my goal. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, we cut the G word from our house a long time ago. <laughs> my, my poor daughter, I know she's glitter and it's like, but we got her a healthier, yeah, biodegradable glitter. For Christmas, part of her gift was a biodegradable glitter. And this girl lost her mind. She was oh, like, she oh my gosh, glitter. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Do you guys have any apps or any websites you recommend for people that are starting? Especially, I feel like the personal care products for me, like I've slowly started changing a few of my things. That is a big area, especially mm -hmm. for people that have high maintenance hair. Mm -hmm. Not going to name any names, but me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Where do you start looking so that you can find some safer products? So we oftentimes will refer our patients to EWG, the Environmental Working Group, and they have a couple different apps. They have their Healthy Living app and then their Skin Deep app. 
And on their website, or they have apps to use on the phone, you can literally look up products. They even have a way that you can scan your product and it will give it a rating. So the lower the rating, the less risky they have determined it to be based on the ingredients. The higher the rating, if it has a nine or a 10, you know, there are possibly several ways in which that could possibly affect your health. And so that's that's my number one go-to for the most part. And James is really involved, so I'm sure he does. Yeah, no, no, I mean, no, that's a great consumer, like, website where it's easy to use. You can get the app, like, that's great. There's also another great book coming out. I'm, like, totally blanking. I was just telling Michael about you it, were. too. But it's, uh, another, it's coming out in August. It's available pre-order. So I'll, I'll send you the link, and maybe we can throw it up. But um, um, As far yeah. as water goes, though, you can reach out to your city, look on your city website and assess the city's water quality. And, you know, you can consult with different companies and, you know, ask them, what do you filter out these different things that my city has listed are in my water? Um, so that's another way that you can ensure with your water. And then with your food, you usually recommend shop local, shop your local farmer's market. Not only are you stimulating a local economy, you are also really involved with those who have their hands in your food. There's such a personal experience and a beautiful experience with that. Um, you know, James and I, we still shop with the same farmers who we were shopping with nine, 10 years ago when we lived in another county. They go to our farmer's market now where yeah. we now live. And so we've seen these people over the years. We've seen them have a baby and we've, you know, really gotten to know their family. They're like feel, our friends. Yeah, we befriended them. We really feel confident in where our food is coming from. So yeah. shopping at your local farmer's market just helps one, reduce cost because you're cutting out the middleman. There's no shippers and grocers and all that in the middle to, you know, turn a little bit more for that food. You're eating seasonally, which is more nutrient dense. You're usually eating very locally. And again, there's oftentimes if it's a certified organic or you've spoken with them and maybe they're not yet certified organic, but they say, oh, we use, you know, natural pesticides or natural herbicides. It just, it, it's, Again, another way to kind of clean things up. And an example that really quickly pesticide one of our farmers uses on the strawberries. Like if you eat the strawberries, sometimes you have to rub it if you're going to try it because it'll have a weird taste. And you probably think like, oh, my gosh, what is this? But it's, it's a seaweed powder. So they'll, they'll even spray like this seaweed powder that is an organic pesticide. And I know pesticide can be a, a scary word, but that's why I go more for like synthetic pesticide. There's a big difference between pesticide and synthetic pesticide where this natural seaweed spray is technically a pesticide, but it's biodegradable. Even if you eat some, it's not going to be the end of the world. You rinse it off, you got this beautiful, delicious strawberry. So big, big difference, you know, that people have to be aware of. So, um, yeah, it's so important to do those things. Yeah. Love that. And well, that also brings up another question that I wanted to ask at the beginning of this topic, and that is organic versus non-organic. Oh, yeah. What do you usually recommend for that? Do you say get as much organic as you can, or just focus on like the dirty dozen or how do you direct people? It depends where someone's starting. I always love to tell my patients, you're expecting all times. There's good, there's better, there's best. So what are we doing right now? Are we in a place where we're drinking tons of soda, eating lots of processed food and eating a ton of animal product? I'm not going to mention organic to that person. <laughs> we already have quite a journey to go on together. But like you said, if someone comes to me, they're already plant-based, they're looking to take their health to the next level. Absolutely. I will suggest that. Or maybe in that initial family's journey, who's eating quite a processed diet, maybe halfway through, I'll say, hey, 
Now that you've started eating fruits and vegetables, this is the dirty dozen clean 15. This is what it means because oftentimes people aren't aware of what it means. And just so that way they can make more informed decisions. And so it depends where you're standing. If you're already incorporating the fruits and vegetables, then consider transferring them to organic fruits and vegetables. But if you're not even eating the fruits and vegetables and you're not eating unprocessed food at this time, it could be a little bit overwhelming to then jump in and do a completely organic diet. And, and the educational piece to this, and this is not something we say to every patient, like Dahlia said, it depends really where they are. Just for you and, and, the, and the audience listening, is look, organic is not perfect by any means. You know, USD organic is far from being perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. That's something we always want to make very, very clear. You know, what I would say is ideal. Like if I had an ideal vision, it would be like more veganic, biodynamic, regenerative. Those are like the three buzzwords, right? For like the ideal situation. That's where like, well, you got this super farm and we've seen it. We have friends who have a farm like this, where it's like, Everything is growing in synergy. Everything's working with one another. You really, you don't use any pesticides or herbicides. I mean, synthetic, I would say. Uh, Synthetic fertilizers. You're just mulching and you're healing the soil. You're bringing diversity back to the soil and you're bringing that diversity to that farm. That is an ideal situation. Um, that That can even segue nicely into supplements, but, you know, because that's the true multivitamin is you putting compost, you putting all this variety of food waste back into your soil, what you're doing is putting a multitude of vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients back into the soil that then goes back into your food. That is what we're not doing on a large scale in our agriculture running into so many problems. Yeah, Um, no, that's that's such a good point because obviously one of the areas that vegans get criticized is in monocrops like oh if you vegans you know eat all this soy and corn and then you have to remind them well it's actually we're not eating most of that okay the animals are eating it so just to clarify but obviously it's not ideal is what you're saying because it Mm -hmm. it it can disrupt the environment the soil does get depleted and because the way that things are being farmed isn't in alignment with the environment then, you know, a lot of different things can happen. But what you're saying is that you have a vision for more of our farming practices to go to this working with the environment, having multiple different species together. And then you end up with a soil that's nutrient rich, but also has a rich microbiome itself. It's got all the bacteria and different bugs and happy things that live there. I'm not a farmer, but I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, we've oftentimes we don't think of that. That yeah, the perfect soil has a good combination of this fungus or this yeast. You know, mushroom is a fungus, Mm -hmm. and they might have their own set of yeast and bacteria. And that's the way that it actually should be, and that's the way that we actually should be too. So we, we call it cake. Like soil should be cake in consistency where it's like it's like you're grabbing chocolate cake it's just so rich it's so it's just so like spongy and you can squeeze it and that is a healthy soil you go to any one of these farms it it almost looks like cement or if you've ever been walking by a sidewalk and you see that dirt next to the sidewalk and it's like a cement because typically cities spray the sidewalk cracks with uh, tons of glyphosate and it leaches into the soil right next to it and looks like cement because you are killing all that life. When you kill that life, 
you are turning this cake into a cinder block, right? So when that happens, you're talking about a multitude of, of loss here. You're talking, yeah, that nutrient loss. You're also talking about rainwater loss because now if, if it's that cinder block, it's just rolling out right off and going into the gutter. You know, you're, you're talking about just so much loss. That biodiversity, we lose the wild animals. We lose, I mean, we just lose across the board. So yes. it, it's, yes. it's such a root cause fix that can have this, this beautiful ripple effect. And I love more people are becoming aware of it. And that's what we need. Mm -hmm. we, we need it across the board because it's that is so, so cool. Yeah. I would love to visit one of these farms. It just sounds so cool, you know, to be able to see that in action and how people are learning different things. And hopefully, you know, the pendulum swings, right? I mean, agriculture mm -hmm. is something newer to humans mm -hmm. in our human evolution. And we discovered this and we're like, all right, you know how we take everything to the next level. Like, well, we're just going to do like, thousands of acres of this, you know, and, yes. uh, but now we're going to be coming back to our roots and see how we can make it work, not just for producing, but for our own health and our bodies. And that's 100%. such a good point. And I got a, I got a shout out Sarvadea Institute. If you guys want to check out sarvadeainstitute.org, farmersfootprint.org, uh, kisstheground.org, uh, the Rodale Institute. Dot org. I believe they're also dot org. These are amazing resources. These are local communities doing this. These are bigger institutions helping with the research. This uh, farmers footprints helping farmers at large scale transition to more regenerative agriculture. And all regenerative agriculture means is that you are generating food, but at the same time you are healing the soil. Whereas right now our current model is we're we're just take take take. take we're yeah. taking food and the soil is dying. And we're going take 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 take. That doesn't work, and it, it's and we're not starting to feel it in our health. You know, patients right. come to us; they're nutrient depleted. They might have a whole food plant based diet, and they might not realize that plant might not be, be as nutrient dense as it was a hundred years ago because of these reasons, because of topsoil erosion, and you know all these persistent organic pollutants and pesticides. And so, patients are coming to us saying, "What's going on? Why am I right. so deficient in so many of these different nutrients, like selenium and and things that should." very readily be able in these plant foods that are growing directly in the soil. So it, I think it really is important for those, especially adopting a plant-based diet, to be aware of this because it could have a direct impact. And then for us with our patients, we're seeing it manifest in their gut health as well. Because when you have dysbiosis or imbalance in the soil between all those organisms, that will also sometimes translate into a dysbiosis or an imbalance of microbes within the gut as well. I have to point out something too. And what, what's crazy, and this is where you think eating local is so simple, but it makes mm -hmm. such a big impact because we are now having growers and this is where we're importing and exporting from such long distances. Growers are factoring in, how can I have this watermelon or this tomato or whatever? They're growing not to say, have it be the most nutritious or the most tasty they're growing it to say how can it ship better yeah. so now the focus is how can i grow my crop so it ships better yes. and when you're doing that you, you're increasing the oxalates and maybe the lectins and these things that protect the fruit or the vegetable and now you're eating something with more oxalates and lectins there's even some studies that show a synergistic effect with pesticides and oxalates so they ramp each other up so now your gut 
when you're on antibiotics and maybe you've been exposed to all these other things already, now your gut microbiome is having to digest a bigger beast of these, these foods because of all these just bad inputs and this, these bad thought processes we're doing to that food. It's unsustainable. Like, wow. It's, it's yeah. Wow. Yeah, you just blew my mind. And that could definitely explain why there's so many people that they have such a hard time trying to adopt a quote healthier diet of these whole plant foods if, you know, they're in that place in their gut where they can't handle the changes in the plants, decrease nutrients, and also maybe increase in some of these um, components of the plants that make it more difficult for them to digest and absorb different um, nutrients. But I think, like James said before, I think this is a great segue to supplement. So there's definitely some supplements that we definitely, you know, recommend for people that are eating a plant-based diet. But can you go through what you guys usually recommend for children that are consuming a predominantly or completely plant-based diet? Yes, absolutely. So anyone on a plant-based diet, definitely B12 is a recommendation. That's kind of a non-negotiable. We feel like everyone on a plant-based diet, unless you live on a regenerative farm and you get to eat some of that soil all the time, you should be on a B12 supplement. And kids are no exception to that. So children absolutely should be taking a vitamin B12. And, you know, it depends on the child. Also, their genetic makeup, their skin tone, their sun exposure, should they also be taking a vitamin D? Um, and this is where possibly, if you know that your child has tested deficient in vitamin D or your child is quite, has quite pigmented skin like mine or darker, um, they might not be readily absorbing vitamin D from the sun if they don't eat vitamin D rich foods like fortified, um, fortified plant-based milks or sometimes tofu can be fortified with vitamin D or um, you know, eating mushrooms and things like that. So possibly a vitamin D, unless your child is getting that proper sun exposure, usually it's gonna be between um, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., best sun exposure. Um, calcium is one of those things. If you know you have a child who does not eat calcium fortified foods, like fortified tofu again, or um, any other fortified plant milk, and they're not doing a lot of their dark leafy greens, and they're not doing some of the nuts and seeds and other foods that can be richer calcium sources, you might want to choose to fortify yourself. Or if you're someone who says, hey, I get this question a lot. I notice that all of the cleaner milks are not fortified. It's basically just the nut and or, or the bean and water. They're not fortified. You can self-fortify. We do this ourselves because we know some days our daughter might take two bites of her dark leafy green or she might not eat quite as much of her nuts and seeds. And so her calcium might not be robust that day. So we sometimes self-fortify. We buy these calcified seaweed supplements and they're in a vegetable capsule. So we'll just open it and dump the powder out into her oatmeal, or we'll dump it out into her plant milk or whatever it is. Are we religious about that every single day? Not necessarily, but I try to do it at least, you know, over half of the week. And the other portions we get through other fortified foods that she eats, like the tofu and then um, plant milk and other greens. So calcium, majority of whole food, mm -hmm. but yeah, we do. And I, and I know on fortification, I don't, I don't like fortification, right? Like Another thing we point out is these companies don't always have your best interest. They're not going to find you the best fortifying supplement, you know, money can buy. They're not going to, a lot of these, and especially if you're doing more conventional products, a lot of these vitamins and minerals are genetically modified. There are genetically modified bacteria that produce these vitamins and minerals. So it's, you know, I would say buy your own. If you're there in if your you're journey. There. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you're ready to take that step to ensure that you're self-fortifying. But if you're not, it might be in your best interest, depending on where you and your family are starting from. But if you're down the rabbit hole and you're in it and you're looking for those cleaner products, then you could self-fortify as well. Um, Omega-3 is another one, depending on the child's diet. Again, if your kid is an omega-3 lover, they eat walnuts every day. They're really good about their flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds. They eat tons of seaweed. They might not be deficient in omega-3s. They might be doing great. Even some plant milks now and other foods are fortified with omega-3. If not, you might want to consider maybe doing some omega-3 drops. Our daughter eats omega-3 capsules. <laughs> they come in like a, a vegan chewy capsule. They're not chewable. You're <laughs> just supposed to swallow them. Swallow but them. She, likes, she likes the way they taste. She eats them. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. And she is. She does eat actually quite a bit of nuts and seeds oh, and yeah. things like that every single day. So we'll give her that maybe once a week or so. But it depends on your child. If you recognize that that might be an area where they're not as robust in, in their diet, that could be an area you consider fortifying. And then the last one I would say is iodine. Um, iodine traditionally is obtained from iodized sea salt. A lot of people have moved away from that in recent years. They're using Himalayan salt or rock salts or even sea salt. And so if you're not using iodized salt, if your child does not regularly consume sea vegetables, they're not a almost daily seaweed eater, you guys don't eat kelp noodles or use kelp flakes, you can consider also ensuring that whatever you're supplementing them with has iodine in it, or a simple way is to use kelp flakes. Um, you can buy them on wherever, Amazon, your local health food store. Um, there's a brand called, I think, Main Coast. And you could give your child about a quarter of a teaspoon a day of kelp flakes. And that's pretty much a pinch. We just put it on our daughter's food. So, you know, if we served her a you know, bean and rice and veggie bowl, we'll do a little sprinkle or she likes it on her, her it. avocado toast in the morning. She'll sprinkle a little bit on herself. So, yeah. you know, it depends on where your child is, but I would say those tend to be the top ones. So for the omega-3, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on, because whenever we talk about the plant-based sources, the walnuts and the ground flaxseed, that's the ALA form of the omega-3. Mm -hmm. And then we may convert a, you know, small percentage varying from person to person, right. but do you have any thoughts specifically on the DHA EPA and how many people should consider supplementing that since there's no whole plant food sources of that one? Right. Yeah. That, that's a wonderful question. And that goes back to the microbiome. And I think we're going to see more research in that where, you know, it, this goes back to building your foundation, which is the gut microbiome, which, which our theory, and again, this is our theory, but it is a better conversion rate when you have a healthier gut microbiome. And so you can flood your body with this alpha linolenic, right? That's the ALA form, walnuts, chia seed, flaxseed, hemp, and all that, which you can totally flood and get enough of if you're doing it correctly. And even if your conversion is like one or 2%, which is, which is on the lower end, if you're getting roughly like 15 grams of ALA, which you could easily do, you're, you're meeting that, right? So it, it's pretty cool, but, but we're, yeah, our, our theory, which I think we're gonna see more research, we've seen some of this research pointing in that way, we're similar to like vitamin K, it all goes down to what are your microbes doing to that when it enters your system? What are your microbes gonna do with that long-term? And if you aren't eating correctly and you aren't, you know, taking care of your gut microbiome, it's going to be a less conversion, mm -hmm. you know, from what we're kind of seeing. So then so, that might be that person who's considering using an algae omega or which will have flax oil. 
the EPA DHA already made for you. So yeah, that might be beneficial, but that's not to say, okay, I'm going to take this supplement and I'm just going to keep eating my vegan cheesecake and my beyond meat burger all the time. No, you want to eat these whole foods. You have to build up your foundation of your gut microbiome because it's doing way more for you than just helping you poop regularly. You know what I mean? It's helping you make these conversions and activate these key minerals and going back to agriculture just real quickly to make this kind of parallel we are inside out plants and i'm seeing that more and more right plants what do we do we use the the soil microbiome to break down rocks and fossils we're taking these these undigestible inputs the microbes break it down and the plant absorbs it we then eat the plant we are the opposite. We're actually putting, putting these objects in our body, the microbes break it down and then sends it outward. So we're the, we're the reverse, but we're essentially doing the same thing, using the same thing, which are microbes. So it all goes back to microbes. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a recent study showed that our gut microbiome is about, is about uh, it's, it's a one to 10 ratio of diversity from the soil. So the soil is way more diverse than our gut microbiome, but we are getting our diversity from the soil, essentially. Wow. Those, those same species are within us, and, and they're doing the same thing. That's so where so we cool. always take it back to whole foods, especially for parents and for families. We always reiterate that's why they're called supplements, not replacements. You know, there's no supplement in this world that could ever take the place of whole foods, even the ones that claim that they're you know, equivalent to eating 10 cups of broccoli or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, You know, you can never efficiently concentrate what a whole food can offer to you. So there's never going to be enough supplementation that's going to offer, you know, the fiber, the phytonutrients, the micronutrients, the macronutrients. So we really want to deter parents from relying on supplements and resolving to have highly processed foods and you know, food-like substances in their child's diet and then say, oh, well, it's okay because they took their little gummy bear this morning, so they're okay. Um, you always want to consider, how can I improve diet as a whole? Mm-hmm. That's the foundation. You don't want the foundation to lay on this little and that, sugar or something. And I remember doing a story on this. We're at our friend's farm and, and we were there and our daughter just runs around and eats everything and I go and her name Manju and I go Manju you know Layla's just going to devour everything she's like oh yeah go ahead and and our daughter's just strawberries and the figs and everything goes oh and it's like show me a supplement that will give her those nutrients or or I mean she's in the sunshine she's like these these foods were just picked like just peak of the season they were grown in organic, healthy, beautiful soil. These these foods, I wish I had all the instruments to measure all these nutrients, but show me a little capsule of a supplement that can give our daughter what she just, you know, experienced from these foods. It's like, you can't. And, and it's the same with exercise. I've done a story on this with mm-hmm. exercise. Like after I'm done exercising and I'm sweating and I'm in the sun and I'm breathing and I'm deep breathing and my sweat is, you know, detoxing my body, show me a pill that could do that, you know? We're, we're, we're chasing these pills when it's like, you just got to put in the work. Yes. You got to try to go to those farms. You got to try and meet these farmers markets with the farmers there. You got to exercise because there's no pill that can give you that. Best pill yes. you need to swallow is the consistency. Yeah. <laughs> consistency no, pill. that's so, so beautifully said. And you're so yeah. obviously passionate about this, but I agree because I think that parent, they feel overly reassured yes. when 
children are taking either vitamins or Mm -hmm. fiber gummies or whatever it is. But I think the point is that, yes, they may be necessary to, Mm -hmm. to prevent some deficiencies in micronutrients, but they're not making up for large deficits or large errors in the diet. So, but the other thing to tell parents is that just like you guys said earlier, we're not expecting them to change overnight. So if you're stuck on the chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, grilled cheese diet right now, start making small changes. Mm -hmm. How can you start incorporating, change the bread to whole wheat? How can you start using maybe some chickpea pasta, you know, like start little by little incorporating some foods that are going to be healthier for that gut and your overall body. And then you can refine and fine tune as you go along. But yes, I love to tell people just as you know, people often come to me and they say, well, what supplement should I take? And I was saying, think of whole food as a supplement, you know, if you need a, a vitamin supplement to take at the same time, sure, that's fine. In the interim, think of supplementing what you're already doing, you know, what Can you add broccoli to that mac and cheese? Whole food, can you supplement or upgrade into your current diet until Mm -hmm. things are crowded out and you're having more of those whole foods? Mm -hmm. Great. Well, let me just ask you a specific, just because I'm curious. Mm -hmm. What doses do you guys recommend of B12? Yeah, wonderful question. And yeah, and if so, you're specifically for children? Yeah. Yeah. We go by the, uh, what is the NIH has a page where it breaks down all the different like dosage levels. And, and honestly, I mean, so it can go anywhere from around like one microgram per day for children, or, um, you can also do it if they're very young. And then, so nine to 13 can do about 2.5 micrograms. Right. So yeah, if you want to get like in the specific, but you know, and and then with B12, your body will store it. So there's times in the week, especially when we're really busy, we'll sometimes do a mega dose with our daughter, like, boom, there you go. There's your week mega dose. And plus, you know, she's eating some nutritional yeast here and she's out in the garden there and she has a really healthy gut microbiome. So we we're kind of in our mind covering those bases and going mm-hmm. check, check, check. Okay. It was a good week. Boom. Uh, but we've, we've worked on this for so long. So if you're not quite there, you're like, okay, what's the recommendation I'm going to do every day? Yeah, you can follow it and you, you can go to NIH.gov and you can look up the B12 recommendations. It'll break it down by age. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Younger children, generally, it's going to be about five micrograms. Middle age, like a, that, you know, five to 10 years old, yeah. they need about 1.2. And then for teens, early adolescents, they, that can go up to two to 2.5. Yeah. So the reason I ask is because, you know, and I've recommended all kinds of doses, but now when I do a multivitamin that especially here, I do recommend the vitamin D, we have the B12, and then it can cover the iodine for kids that need it. Sometimes in multis, the doses are more small like that, like Mm -hmm. 2.5, five micrograms, but you also hear recommendations for higher doses, 50, 500, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. doing the 1,000, 1,500 once or twice a week, something like that. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is even if you're taking a multi that has a smaller dose, then you're probably fine as long as you're doing that more regularly. Absolutely. And if yeah. you're not doing it quite as regularly, you could consider mega dosing one to three times a week. That's yeah. kind of spreading it out. Absolutely. Okay. Whatever works yeah. best for your family. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up because we're just having way too much fun but (laughs) what do you guys what do you guys wish more parents knew oh man yeah I mean on I guess I'll start I mean 
I wish more parents knew they could grow amazing food. That's one thing I'd say. So whether you live in an apartment, you live in a condo or you have a big acre, you know, start somewhere, you know, so the apartment, perhaps, you know, you can grow things indoors. You start sprouting some seeds or you start growing a little herb garden on your counter. It, it's pretty amazing because that doesn't take much input. You know, maybe buy something on Amazon, a little seed starter kit or, or whatever the case is. You can just grab dirt from somewhere outside, put it in a pot and plant a seed and you can start growing food. So that's pretty amazing. And that food is most likely going to be more nutritious than any herb you can buy from the store, or any dried herb that you get on the shelf because you grew it and it's fresh right then and there and you can and it's eat exciting it. exciting for kids all ages, definitely. Yeah. And I would say for me, what I like to impart on parents is for the most part, most of the time, picky eating is often a learned behavior. Um, I oftentimes will hear, oh, but my kids are already teenagers or they're already too old to make those changes. You're lucky because you're starting when your daughter is young. It is never, never, never too late Absolutely. to start making those changes in your lifestyle with you and your child with the feeding dynamics that you carry in your family around food and the value that you've placed on food and um, also that relationship that your children have developed with food it's never 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 too late to make those changes emotionally mentally physically or especially in their microbiome it's never too late to start that because that will impact them for the rest of their lives so today is a really wonderful day to start I love that. And yes, I agree. It's never too late. I think it's all about mindset and attitude. Once you realize that all of our food preferences are based upon repeated and consistent exposure, anybody can learn to like new foods, even if you are an adult. In fact, adults have to do this. There are some adults that stay extremely selective into adulthood and they have to go through the steps to learn to like more foods and increase their repertoire of foods so that they can socialize. Otherwise it's really hard for their social life. And, and going back to what James was saying, as far as growing foods, um, I think it's exciting for adults too, especially since I didn't grow up with a garden or any of that kind of stuff. So I recently grew some microgreens and it was just so fun watching them and they're so cute and they, they would like lean towards the sun and they're so pretty. So it was super, super exciting. Okay. So what habit are each of you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Ooh, that's a great question. That's a wonderful question. I would say for me, something I'm most proud of is exercising daily. And I'm so proud of that because as I had mentioned early on, I was very sedentary growing up and exercise and physical activity were not a part of my life or something that I really enjoyed. I was always that kid who was trying to get a note to get out of PE and, you know, do everything I could to evade running the miles. So for me, exercising daily is something I'm so, so proud of and doing it in either with Layla, our five-year-old in front of her. So she sees me or letting her know that I'm doing it. When we were going to the gym before, I would never drop her off to the gym daycare and say, Oh, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go do something. I would say, mommy's going to exercise because that helps my body get strong and it makes me a better mom for you. So for me, exercising every single day, that is something I'm so, so proud of. Even if I can only do it for like 10, 15 minutes, I'm Mm -hmm. still going to do it because it's a good placeholder keeps my habit and it shows her that consistency. Oh, yes, ma'am. Such a good example. But I want to emphasize the point, even if you can only do it for a few minutes, Mm -hmm. this is also a mindset thing. Because when I was younger, 
I would say if I didn't have, like, I would actually, cause I'm perfectionistic, you know, type <laughs> I'd be like, if I don't have 60 minutes, I'm not going to do it at all. Mm. But even if you get a 10 minute run or a 10 minute spin session or whatever, it just makes such a huge difference in how you feel. Like it immediately changes the tone for the rest of your day. So all the mm. listeners out there that used to be like me, that you think that if you don't have a full hour, you can't work mm-hmm. out, just do what you can. I promise you won't regret it. So mm. I love that. Thank you so much. What about you, James? Uh, what I... I like my habit. It's hard to pick, but I guess, I guess overall my brain is always everywhere. So I love when I learn something new every day. So I try and just Mm. learn something new every day, whether I'm on PubMed and I'm reading something or it's a podcast or something, I'm kind of just reading, listening, watching, and I'm learning something. And I love that. I don't think I've had a good day if I haven't learned something new. So that's a habit I've developed and I, I love that. Yeah. Oh, and we can tell because you have way too much information in your head. It's like, where can I put all this information? Yeah. You know, I love that. It's my favorite people are people that love to learn because it's just mm-hmm. so much fun, especially when we can learn together and learn from each other. Just mm-hmm. like the people that are listening to this podcast right now, we're learning so many amazing things from you guys. So thank you so much. Oh, cool. How thank can you. listeners connect with you? And what products or services do you offer? Yes. Oh my gosh. So directly you can connect at Married to Health or go to MarriedToHealth.com. Across all platforms. Across all platforms. We are, I mean, we're currently, we have an office. We can, we do telehealth. Uh, You know, we could see you in office as well, but we're pushing more telehealth with given everything going on. So, um, but we're rebranding our entire clinic. So our entire clinic is going to be the Institute of Plant-Based Medicine. Or IOPBM Medicine on Instagram, you can find us or Facebook. Yeah. And so you go, you can go to, you know, IOPBM.com. You can sign up for our newsletter right now. The website will be live probably towards the end of the month and we'll be, it's going to be really cool. We're really excited. Yes. And we do everything. We do uh, one-on-one consultations. All of our consultations are personalized. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do grocery store tours, cooking demos. We can do these in person or virtual. We've done them as well. Uh, grocery store tours are something we can also try to arrange to do virtually. So we really love taking people through that whole spectrum of buying the food, prepping the food, getting ready to prepare your mindset, and then eating the food. Oh, I love it. And I'm so excited about the Institute for Plant-Based Medicine. What it's just a wonderful thing to create and so excited to see what all of you guys come up with together. Such a good team. Okay, this has been so awesome. And we didn't even get to half of the questions. Okay, (laughs) but that means you just have to come back to the podcast sometime. But if you can leave my listeners with one call to action for the week, what one thing can they do this week to improve their lives? Mm, yeah. I love that. You want me to go? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, building your gut microbiome today is going to help for future generations. So how do you do that? Just eating more fiber. I know it sounds so simple, but, you know, make sure, grab that apple, grab that, you know, chop up that broccoli and just throw it in your salad. If You know, just building on what you're already doing and just adding that diversity of fiber, you're building your gut microbiome, especially if you're at a younger age and you maybe haven't had children yet, you want to. That's one of the best gifts you're going to impart to your children is your gut microbiome. You are going to pass that on. That is, that is an inheritance for your children and you got to start building it today. 
That's yes, you are literally passing it on. We didn't literally. talk about that in this episode, but you are literally passing it on, not just like mm-hmm. figuratively. Right. So getting ready before you conceive, you're doing that, but also you're building the habit to mm-hmm. role model, just like Dahlia was saying. So it's like a win, win, win. You're going to feel win, better. Yes. They're going to do great. So I love that. Okay. Veggie lovers, you got your charge for the week. I think I think they know because most of my guests say something similar to this, that yeah. fiber is so important, okay? Fiber, That's yeah. why it's my favorite F word. So eat yes. more fiber <laughs> this week, okay? That is yeah. your yes. challenge. Just bring it out at the very least. That's what I tell people. Yeah. At least just bring it with each meal and snack. Don't even force or judge it, but just bring it. See I it. love it. <laughs> cool. All right, Dahlia and James, this has been so great. You guys are so awesome. Thank you so Thank much for you. your time. I appreciate you so much for everything that you do for your patients and your clients and for being guests on my show. Cool. Thank, Thank you, you likewise. Yeah. We are so, so grateful to have been on. And I hope you both have a very plantastic day. <laughs> you, you too. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.